The Italian Radio Hour is sponsored by Istituto Mondo Italiano. Buonasera a tutti, good evening and welcome to the Italian Radio Hour. Io sono Viviana and tonight I would like to introduce my friend and co-host Caterina. Caterina, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, buonasera a tutti, mi chiamo Caterina e sono di origine siciliana e adoro l'Italia. I have been to Italy about a dozen times and actually I'm returning to Italy for the entire month of May and I'll be visiting Umbria and Calabria and uh, obviously I have to spend some days in the beautiful eternal city of Rome. Sono molto contenta di essere con voi. Uh, we would like to welcome back um, our regular listeners and also welcome our new listeners and anyone listening online at khbradio.com. Also, please be sure to like us on Instagram and Facebook at the Italian Radio Hour. E benvenuti ai nostri ascoltatori da tutto il mondo. Grazie per essere con noi anche oggi mentre continuiamo il nostro viaggio per l'Italia e la cultura italiana. Well, you know, on last week's episode, we spoke with Anna Piperato about the tradition of the Palio, which is the world's longest running horse race. Um, I have to say that last November, I spent a couple days with uh, Anna because I was uh, touring in Italy, and we spent uh, two two days uh, uh, exploring her adopted city of Siena as well as uh, Firenze, and I have to say she was amazing. Isn't she amazing? She is delightful. We also uh, spoke with uh, uh, Claudio Railsono, the baseball coach at Carnegie Mellon University. He's a sports podcaster and a motivational speaker. And we also spoke about how his Italian-American upbringing influenced his life. But uh, before we get to our first guest tonight, let's find out the answer to last week's trivia question. Viviana, what is the meaning of nascere con la camicia? Well, nati con la camicia or nascere con la camicia is an expression that sometimes you would, uh, would hear when a doctor delivering a baby might say when the baby coming out the delivery room. But what does that really mean and do we use it only in deliveries? Absolutely not. We use this all the time when we are referring to someone that um, uh, is very lucky and sometimes it's, oh, he was born uh, nato con la camicia. And there is indeed, um, it's a very exceptional um, event uh, when a baby is born to be born wrapped in the amniotic sac, pretty much the placental membrane. And uh, so it's uh, it's uncommon. It was thought uh, being a sign of uh, being favored by the gods. Well, tonight, um, our show's theme is When in Rome. We will speak with two very special guests. Ma prima, pubblicità. Do you want to learn, improve, or master the Italian language? Istituto Mondo Italiano can help. Located in the heart of Regent Square, Mondo Italiano offers small group classes and one-on-one private tutoring to help you learn Italian in no time. Visit us online at www.istitutomondoitaliano.org. Okay, so here we are ready to welcome our first guest to the show, Angelo Carotenuto. He's the founder of Live Tours, a family-owned tour company based in Rome. And as we all know, Italy is a country with a rich and intriguing past, 
However, history has been traditionally recorded in books by men and has always uh, focused on powerful male protagonists. So during COVID, and Angelo will tell us all about it, a little bit like the Renaissance, you know, this uh, moment of kind of rebirth after a dark, um, a moment of sorrow. Um, Angelo, with his organization, has developed innovative uh, tour series that will take you to look at history and Rome and some other um, cities throughout Italy with a different angle. Angelo, are you with us? I am. Buonasera. Buonasera, Angelo, and thank you for taking our interview so late at night. Uh, So in order to introduce a little bit about you and what you do, can you share with our audience a little bit of your background and, and how you started your career in tourism? Yeah, it's actually, <laughs> it wasn't so straightforward, to be completely honest. I'm I'm born and raised here in Rome, Italy, but my mother's from California, so I was raised bilingual. And I was uh, sort of forced, uh, willingly or not, to go to college to get my higher education in, in the United States of America, so I did. Um, but at that time, my major interest was uh, theater, acting, performing, uh, singing, and that's what I was pursuing in Los Angeles. In between a couple of summers, between junior and senior year, I moved back to Rome for the summer and participated in a show, um, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's um, uh, Flute, which is um, the magic flute, and uh, I sang with 70 or 80 of the best American uh, collegiate and uh, undergraduate singers uh, that were invited to sing in Rome, Italy, in, in a beautiful outdoor setting at the Cortile di Santivo La Sapienza next to Piazza Navona. And, well, in this experience, believe it or not, six of those 70 singers never made it back home. They fell in love with Rome so wow. much that they never took that flight back. Um, unbeknownst to me, to be completely honest, we were good friends that summer, but I had moved back to Los Angeles to finish my studies, and by chance, the next summer, I got in touch with one of them um, before my return, and she says, yeah, I'm, I'm in Rome, and I'm, you know, I'm on the phone, I'm like, are you crazy? You know, there's no jobs in Rome, what are you doing? How, how are you surviving? How are you paying the bills? And she says, I'm a tour guide. So she invites me over uh, to check it out, see how it works, and um, I sort of fell in love with it. Um, my acting career uh, sort of went sideways, or at least I put it on the, um, on the side for a little bit, and I started tour guiding in the summer of 2005. Um, between the summer 2005 and 2011, I tour guided literally any sort of put a client you can think of, you know, from uh, college students trying to travel around Europe and see 12 cities in eight days, all the way to super VIP clients or cruise ship groups or uh, free tours at the Roman Forum or St. Peter's Basilica. I had sort of done it all. And after six years of that, I think I had humbly say what we call an epiphany. And the epiphany was that there was a segment of of travelers that was still not being 
harassed by the ever so growing activity industry in the travel field. And that was what we call the dreamers. So then I started a company called Live Italy Tours at that time. And Live Italy was supposed to um, sort of transform into a service every single dream or between you and I, Viviana, stereotype Mm -hmm. that people have about Italy. So soccer, Ferrari, fashion, history, archaeology, food, wine, hiking, nature, um, anything that we all dream of potentially experiencing when we are going to finally make that once-in-a-lifetime lovely trip to Italy, I had transformed into a service that you could purchase on one single website and sort of design your vacation a la carte. So basically, excuse me, I'm sorry. So basically what what your company initially did was uh, do sort of custom made uh, boutique type tours. Is that uh, your initial concept? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though, yeah, 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 of course, of course, that would that would have been the concept. So somebody Somebody, when thinking about going to Italy, is thinking of uh, clearly seeing the Sistine Chapel, but is probably dreaming about learning how to make uh, an excellent plate of pasta with a true Italian nonna. And then the next thing you know is they're dreaming about uh, cheering for a soccer team or driving a Ferrari on the countryside. Mm-hmm. So I had created services of each one of these things, and you could literally go onto the website and purchase one of them or all five of them and place them into your shopping cart. And then when you finally came here, you just do each one of them. Um, so then, you know, fast forward uh, to a couple of years ago, um, COVID um, became the period where a lot of people went back to the drawing board. Um, us included as Instituto Mondo Italiano, we started to look at innovative way of servicing our students in a different way. And I think uh, just to use the same word that you used before, you had an epiphany as far as something that you wanted to, a type of experience that you wanted to um, provide to your customers that were going to look at exactly the same monuments of a so-called regular tour, but from a different angle, from the voice of someone else. Can you tell us a little bit whose voice and how the process was developed? Absolutely. Um, So the the answer is from the voice of women. Um, And I'll explain exactly what I mean and how how we got there. Uh, You're right. Uh, Lockdown and COVID and uh, you, you can imagine the impact that COVID had on, on tourism and on travel, um, especially since Italy was the epicenter of it all at the beginning. It was a disaster, uh, medical, scientific, uh, sociological, and monetary, complete disaster. Uh, monetary mainly for, for our industry. A lot of people suffered um, a lot. A lot of companies closed down, and uh, the major... Our major duty was to survive and find a way to get us through this unknown length of period of time that we were going to be without travel and and find ways to be ready for the new for the new era and um, and that's when you start thinking and you would start working a lot with your imagination and we decided uh, that we were going to have 
not only all of our tours are separated by destination and not only by category, which could be kids-friendly tours or um, or uh, archaeological tours and stuff like that, but and then I thought we should have it split by themes uh, because there's a lot of people that decide to travel for a reason, and the reason could be a bucket list. Could the reason could be um, wanting to explore more about World War II history, um, and that was the first idea we had or I had. And while I was trying to develop that, and I thought it was actually quite easy to find World War II experiences across the entire continent, um, I came up with the Women's History Tours. I realized that the content that our tour guides are giving, which is uh, regular traditional content that you find on books or you can get uh, with higher education or even just regular education, is very often um, very often very manly uh, oriented. It's miso- misogynic and uh, it's um, you, you, we never get a chance uh, to hear the, dif- the other bell, if you want to call it the other bell, to hear perspectives of uh, or even characters uh, or personalities or heroes um, that are not male. So how and, did you start uh, to develop these tours? How, how did you do that kind of research? Because as we, as you stated before, it's not in the history books. History is written from the viewpoint no. of men. So how, how did you do that? How did you dig out those interesting little facts about these prominent women? It's not easy. It's not easy. Well, I guess the, the, the first thing is you have to know the place and you have to know the tour. And as a tour guide myself, you start. You you do know about these women. You just don't end up talking about it. If you're talking about Livia, uh, you're just talking about Livia as Augusta's wife. But, but you're talking about Augustus, the first Caesar of the Roman Empire, and you spend 10, 15 minutes of a three-hour tour talking about Augustus, and one sentence talking about Livia. Or you in front of the Arch of Septimius Severus, and you talk about Geta and Caracalla and Septimius Severus himself, but you never mention Julia Domna, for example. Um, and that 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 was that was my point. So I decided I have these names. I know these people. I've I've learned things about them. Let me dig deeper and let me found further information. And can I create? Can I tell my tour guides that they need to go out there and never speak about man? Never speak about Augustus. Never speak about Geta Caracalla or Septimius Verus. Try and only talk about Livia and Julia Doma, just to name two, eh? just to name an example. So if and I were to take one of these tours, then your guide would not mention a word about Augustus or anybody. Is that... That's, that's just a, maybe a, as a secondary a, character. A secondary. Prominent <laughs> is the woman, you know, behind yeah. the great woman. You know, there's sometimes there's a man. Sometimes there's a man, yeah. <laughs> correct, correct, correct. Yeah, the, the conversation would be flipped, you know. So let's say if, 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 if talking about uh, the first Roman Emperor of the uh, Octavian becoming Augustus, the nine times out of ten you name you name Augustus, and then for once you name Olivia, we do it the opposite way. It's the rule, <clears throat> it's the game, it's the challenge I'm giving my tour guides, and it's not easy. 
Uh, every not, uh, We have 117 tour guides in the city of Rome. It's not something every tour guide can do. Mm-hmm. It's not something every tour guide is prepared or even willing to research for. They may not have the time, to be honest, but because it takes a lot of time. And it takes a lot of brain exercise. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, for instance, uh, you know, the sites, you know, it's not that we're going to rebuild the new Colosseum, just, uh, but thinking about the presence of female uh, gladiators, gladiatrici, uh, when I pass the, gla- the Colosseum on my Vespa, um, sometimes I do imagine, you know, history having different uh, characters. And I was wondering if you have, you mentioned already a couple of names, but maybe for our listeners, you you can uh, dig a little deeper in any of the prominent women in Rome that um, we would hear um, with uh, your with your tours and you think are worthwhile mentioning to our audience tonight. I would love to. Um, <clears throat> female gladiators may or may not be a legend. I'm going to leave that as a surprise for you when you take the tour. Um, what is certainly sociologically very important about the Colosseum is um, the, uh, the nurses, uh, the nurses who took care of the gladiators' wounds. Um, they were considered the most important um, behind-the-scene actress or actor of these games. You had to have somebody taking care quickly and well um, of the fighters that were going on to the arena. Um, I named Julia Domna and Livia because those are, when I was doing this research, those are my two um, favorite grand protagonists of this tour. When you step out of the Colosseum and you start going up the Palatine Hill um, and then down into the Roman Forum, on top of the Palatine Hill you see the Augustus Palace and, uh, and Livia's apartments. And then when you go down into the Roman Forum you see the Arch of Septimius Severus right under the the Capitoline Hill um, to give you an idea of how strong and how uh, influential and how important these women are for the history of ancient Rome. Livia was uh, married to an antagonist of Octavian in a small little internal revolution one of the families was exiled, and that was Nero's family, not the Nero we know of, but that was the former husband of Livia, with whom uh, they had some children. When uh, the revolution was sort of appeased, and Livia's family and Nero were brought back into the city of Rome, Octavian, also for political reasons, uh, was forced to marry Livia. So she had to divorce Nero, uh, asked Nero to walk her up the altar. <laughs> so her ex-husband walks her up the altar to marry the first Caesar, Augustus. And even though it was a political marriage, the two were married for 52 years. Wow. Now, Livia <clears throat> ends up being sort of like, and I don't mean this in a demeaning way, absolutely not, but she was sort of considered soci- sociologically the housewife of all Romans. She took care of every decision that Augustus was making in the background of every single directive, financial, economical, and political that the Caesar was giving, that Augustus was giving, there was Livia. There was Livia's suggestion, there was Livia's conversation, there was Livia's influence in those decisions. Um, 
when Julia Dom, heck, I mean, she she drives me insane. I was just before this interview, I was I was I was reading a little bit further, and and I have this amazing scene. So Julia Domna is Septimus Severus' wife. They have two children, Greta and Caracalla. <clears throat> and Julia Domna is at every military um, action, at every military uh, at, um, uh, 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 action that Septimus Severus is doing in Babylonia. Julia Domna is there with him on the field, okay? And so she was, she's considered the accompagnatrice, the official accompagnatrice. And when Septimus Severus dies, Septimus Severus was hoping that Geta and Caracalla could be co-emperors, co-colleagues in running the country, in running the empire. And Geta and, and Julia Domna was supposed to be the mediator, was supposed to be the controller, supposed to be the head of the house and of the Roman Empire, controlling these two, these two guys, these two young dudes. Well, Caracalla couldn't bear the fact that he had to share his mom and the empire uh, with Geta, uh, faked that he was okay with this, asked for a meeting where, Geta, where uh, Julia Domna was supposed to mediate between the two, and uh, Geta thought, okay, I'll go there without my guards. We're finally talking as a family on how we're going to go forward with this. Little did he know that Caracalla sent assassins to the meeting instead of himself, and Geta dies in Julia Domna's arms. Julia Domna has bloody hands holding his son, who was supposed to be co-emperor. And what does she do? She goes and replicates exactly her relationship that she had with Septimius Severus, with Caracalla. She crowns Caracalla emperor. She starts going out in military missions with him. She starts making financial decisions for the empire. She is the empress. She is the leader of the country. And she makes decisions that not even Caracalla wants to make for the better good or the better bad of the, of, of the Roman Empire. So it's, it's extraordinarily figures that we more than often omit on regular tours. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, so it's not just women in ancient Rome. These are um, uh, prominent women, powerful women, and strategists, because a lot of the conversations that happen behind the scene uh, were indeed um, sometimes um, organized, orchestrated by these, uh, these women. This is really, really fascinating. It will really make you look at history from a different angle. Are you planning to... Um, have this type of uh, tour also in other um, cities of Italy. Um, I believe there was also something maybe about the Vatican, a tour of the Vatican that was still kind of woman-focused. Can, yeah. can you tell us what you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have launched a Women of Florence tour already, um, where you can imagine there's a lot of Medici, Caterina, etc. Um, <laughs> we have finalized. Uh, we have we have finalized our research uh, for the Vatican. So there's a Women's of Vatican uh, tour coming up um, probably next week on the website. Um, there will be uh, a Women's of the Louvre because we're also in Paris and Spain and London. There will be a Women of Women of Venice. Excuse me. Um, 
Talking about the women of Venice, I think I have uh, heard a previous interview um, where you talk about um, some women, like a a women rowing club. Um, Can you tell us a little bit what type of activity you can do with them and what goes back to the community? Because I think that's definitely worth mentioning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We collaborate, well, we resell rowing classes in in venice and rowing uh, you can imagine obviously and learning how to row as a venetian uh is probably one of the most uh, appealing and fun things to do for somebody who's looking for something active to do in venice and rowing venice this little company led by uh females all females mainly expats actually is teaching clients how to row Venetian style, not on a gondola, but on something a little bit wider, a little bit more traditional and less touristy. And uh, these women have created this association called Rowing Venice for which every penny that goes into the reservations for these classes, including the ones that come from our clients, will go back to the community in the form of support for women in sports. So it's all, they're amazing figures, amazing, an amazing group of, uh, of people, of women, and that we love to collaborate with. Well, this, that's fascinating, absolutely fascinating what, what you're, you're doing with your company. Um, if our listeners are interested in any of your tours, how can they contact you? They can go on our website. Our website is uh, a state-of-the-art uh, little shopping center of tours. <laughs> and it's uh, livetours.com, L-I-V-T-O-U-R-S.com. There they'll find all of our tours, but they'll find also our contact information, our contact form. Our email is info at livetours.com. And uh, we answer 24-7, to, 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 as I say, Travelers never sleep, and so do, so we do not. <laughs> well, Angelo, this was, we just scratched the surface, and uh, when I'm back in Rome this, uh, this, uh, this summer, I'll definitely connect with you. But Kathy will come and see you in Tivoli, so she's very excited. So I'm going to let you go to bed. It is 11.30 your time, and I thank you profusely for this very unique experience and explanation of uh, some of the uh, a different way of experiencing our hometown. And uh, again, I will just say alla prossima e ci vediamo a Roma. Anche io. Ci vediamo a Roma. Anche io. <laughs> Buona serata, grazie Angelo, grazie. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. So before we get to our second guest, a little bit of pubblicità. Applying for dual citizenship? Need documents translated? Istituto Mondo Italiano provides a certified translation and interpretation services in 20 different languages. Be sure to visit www.istitutomondoitaliano.org. So, Kathy, are you ready for our second guest? I am so excited. So excited. So excited to hear from Chris. <laughs> oh, wow, 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 wow. So, so our next guest, with any further ado, is Chris Fenimore. Uh, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, of an Italian-American family. Chris is an institution in the broadcast community. It's just an honor to have him with us. In 1985, he joined WQED as the Director of National Programming. He's a former food colonist for the Pittsburgh uh, uh, 
magazine. But uh, what mm, you know, the food, the um, passion that uh, Chris has led him to introduce a format of TV broadcasting, uh, the cooking show marathon. And I think a lot of other TVs. Um, looked at how successful Chris was indeed with uh, this cooking marathon that's probably took inspiration, let's call it that way. Borrowed uh, inspiration, <laughs> shall we say. <laughs> Bor- borrowed. He's also, you know, um, he's contributed recipes for more than 100 community cookbooks, and he's also author himself. I love my copy of Stuffed. And he's also the winner of the prestigious James Baird Award. And you and on a Wednesday evening, if you're lucky and you go to the club in the north side, you will know that also Chris plays a mean banjo. Welcome, Chris Fenimore. <laughs> Viviana, you, you make me sound so interesting. <laughs> you are, you are, you are a legend. But for those of the like one one zero one 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 percent of our listeners that might not be familiar with Chris anymore, uh, we always ask you to share a little bit about your uh, background, um, to tell us a little bit also about maybe figures in your family that um, were very charismatic or any traditions of your Italian American well, upbringing. You know, we lived, we grew up in my grandmother's house. Uh, my grandmother was the oldest of eight sisters, the Bocce girls. Um, and uh, their father built two houses back to back. And um, the, the, all of his daughters lived in these two houses. And, and then their children and their children's children lived in those houses. And so we had our own little Sicilian community right there in the middle of Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Oh, you're Sicilian. And- <laughs> my mother was born in Sicily. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm half, I'm half Sicilian and half Italian. Okay. That, yes, there's an important distinction between the two. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but I'd have to say that it was my grandmother's and my mother's influence that was the greatest on me culturally um, because they kept the language alive they kept the recipes the traditions and you know we ate special foods on santa lucia feast of san giuseppe um we had to have the stingy uh we had to have certain you know the certain things on certain days you have to have it lupini beans uh santa lucia uh and and they told us why they really went through the the effort to make us uh use those things in the right way. And, and I carried on that because I love it. I love to carry on food traditions. And we've made lots of, in our own family, you know, there's certain things that we just do. They have nothing to do with Italian tradition. They just have to do with the things that we like to do at certain times or with certain ingredients or when they're available. And, um, and then my, you know, I had, uh, I have uh, two daughters and a son. My um, youngest daughter ended up living in Rome. Mm-hmm. So it sort of comes full circle uh, here when I go to visit her because she has really uh, adopted that country uh, and loves the lifestyle and the way of life there. She has two little boys. And, of course, I love to go and visit my grandsons. And and uh, even when I'm not there, I'm connected because we do a weekly uh, online cooking class between me and, and the boys and and I teach them sort of the basics uh, 
of uh, the things that I learned from my mother and my grandmother. So, you know, we're just, we're always working it. <laughs> uh, well, actually, um, what uh, uh, you shared about your daughter living in Rome. So this is how uh, things are meant uh, to be. Istituto Mundo Italiano is just down the street from uh, from your house. And uh, we always keep the place open to anyone that wants to come and also look at uh, um, the space, La Dolce Vita Boutique. And one day I remember this lovely uh, young woman coming in and she spoke beautiful Italian and she said, um, I live in Rome and I said you live in Rome permanently um, she said yes but my father lives up the street and I said who is your father I said oh it's, it's Chris Fennimore and that's how I found out that you were a regular you know a regular Roman usually between January and February I think <laughs> that's your way yeah. of uh, being a uh, what do you call it a snow a snow bird a Roma bird <laughs> people that go to Florida usually to escape so then I started to see pictures of you going to the uh, Mercato El Testaccio, um, you know, having your pastry at Linari. Um, and when I got to Rome this past summer, I kind of traced back your your stomping grounds. And uh, so can you tell us what is the life of Chris Fenimore in Rome like? Um, and uh, some of the things that you might do the same. Um, some of the things that you might be different, uh, doing differently because you have access to different Ingredients. So, tell us, take us to Rome with with you. Well, he, here's the thing: they live in a little neighborhood called Testaccio, which uh, it, I don't think it's on any of the tourist maps. Except, I mean, there are some things that are in Testaccio, the Pyramid, and uh, some other things. There's a there's a gigantic mountain mm-hmm. of pottery shards. Mm-hmm. That is what Testaccio means, and. Um, Monte Tastaccio is the the mountain of shards, and and it was that way because it was a the an area right on the Tiber River, where boats could come in and come out and and collect stuff and leave stuff, and it also then became from it started out as the place where all of the uh, olive oil came in and out uh, of Rome, and uh, then it uh, changed to be the Mazzatoio, the, uh, the the meat market. And they would, it was like a, a gigantic, I mean, huge acres and acres of slaughterhouses and places where they would prepare meat. And then it would go back out on barges to other cities and also then right into the city of Rome. That Matatoya is closed, but the, the remnant of that neighborhood are these um, beautiful uh, houses that they put up for all the workers at the Matatoya. And um, it's like a housing development, but they're, they're, they're beautiful apartment complexes with a central um, uh, park area for each group of houses. And um, so that's one of the nice things about living. I live in, in an apartment that's right across the hallway from my daughter. But I look out my kitchen window right onto the, the, onto the little park area, and I see trees and flowers and you wouldn't even know where you are. You could, you could, you could be in Fox Chapel. Um, but um, so it's 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 gorgeous. And if I go out the door and turn the corner, I look out over the Tiber River. So this little neighborhood is nestled in a corner of the Tiber River, um, far enough away from the most tourist areas that you don't see 
you know, flocks of people with the umbrella, hold, you know, they, they hold up the umbrella so they know which group they're in and whatnot. Um, it is just a working class neighborhood. And it reminds me so much of the kind of uh, stores and people and way of life that I grew up with in the 1950s in Brooklyn, New York, because you didn't have any chains. No, you know, there was nothing that was every store. You knew the person who owned it. Um Faico's pork store, Aiello's uh, Solomaria, you know, we knew the people and you knew what, what they had and they catered to the demand that Italian people seem to have for quality ingredients. And that persists in this neighborhood in an amazing place called the Mercato. The Mercato Testaccio is a, um, a block uh, big, it's, uh, you know, it's a block all around and it's inside are all these different stalls and it is covered so you can go in there even on a rainy day and you can shop for the freshest vegetables meats fish uh they have specialists you know uh, um just produce from sicily uh just certain kinds of of grains and whatnot uh it is a dream come true for somebody who cares about food. The um, the the people who do the fruits and vegetables, I think, uh, you know, vie with each other to say, uh, mine is fresher, mine is fresher. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about being really fresh and beautiful. They take the time to lay out all their vegetables in contrasting colors. You know, you have these beautiful, deep red, gigantic peppers, next to yellow peppers, next to uh, green broccolini, uh, next to, um, you know, radicchio with the purples. And, and they have us, I've taken a lot of pictures of this, and, and uh, it just amazes me to go back and look at them and realize that they do this every day. We put that all together. The, the butchers um, will cut any kind of part that you want, and they'll prepare it the way you want you don't get that at the, uh, you know, at the A&P or the grocery store. Now, the Mercato um, and Testaccio also, isn't it a really good place to sample Roman street food? Uh, are are, are oh there my. vendors, you know, oh, and yeah. what are your favorite places? When you go to the Mercato in Testaccio, wh where do you go? Well, the first thing I do is I go <laughs> by Casamanco, mm -hmm. which is a, um, I hate to call it a pizza place. It is not. It's a family. It is, it's a <laughs> pizza family, maybe. Mm -hmm. But what, they, what, what Paola is doing back there is creating some of the most outrageously flavorful mm -hmm. uh, combinations of ingredients. And then she puts it on her husband, Andrea's uh, uh, bread dough. Uh, and they, you know, that they have baked and, and whatnot. But... It's not, if you think of pizza and you're thinking of, you know, Aiello's or Minio's or whatever mm -hmm. you think, that's not what you're going to get there. Is it um, more like the style of, of pizza al taglio or it is how is it taglio. different from, they, from Minio's pizza? They'll cut you a little piece and they'll cut that piece into pieces for you. You can go there and get like four samples and they'll cut it up into 12 pieces and you can have your friends sitting with you and sampling all of these delicious things. Actually, one of my favorite things in the morning is just to get a piece of sesimo, uh, which is sesame seed crusted dough that um, uh, 
but then it's also sprinkled with the most delicious olive oil and and salt and you just have that as a um as a precursor to your lunch and then i go to the uh the cafe that's right there in the middle of the market and have my sesame with um um uh, a cafe doppio molto lungo. <laughs> molto lungo. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the woman behind the counter, she when I walk up, she goes, "Oh, buongiorno, lungo, lungo." <laughs> <laughs> doppio lungo, 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 of course, lungo, lungo. Now, are there any seasonal vegetables that you um, only see um, in in Rome um, that time of the year that you're there that? Um, like, yeah. for instance, I'm, I'm super fond of uh, puntarelle, which is uh, the, in the part that you don't get here. I mean, you can get chicory is within the same family, but you don't get the, the sprouts. Don't I don't know how to call them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it is in season when I'm there in January and February. Um, and they, they have it. Um, you know, it looks like it's expensive, but then you realize that that's by the kilo. So... Um, and that you only have to get like a, a few ectos in order to have a serving of this uh, delicious uh, uh, green that you don't get here at all. And um, and I know Viviana is fond of the, the uh, alice dressing that they, they put mm-hmm. on it, which mm-hmm. is traditional in Rome. And as a matter of fact, I should mention uh, sooner or later, we're going to do a show called When in Rome and featuring recipes that... Um, I encounter those special ingredients and and styles when I'm in Rome. One of the things that I want to do is the puntarelle, and i got to have, I don't know if we're going to be able to get puntarelle. We'll we'll use some sort of vegetable, but I want to have, uh, Viviana, I want you to come on and make that alicia dressing for it. Okay, absolutely. Um, um, As we continue our conversation, um, if anyone would like to um, talk to Chris, we're going to open up the phone lines, uh, but we have so many questions for you. The magic number is 412-825-6262. One more time. 412-825-6262. Um, in the um, some of the pictures I had asked you to send me, um, it looks like you had some sort of family reunion, or you know, some of your uh, closest family also came came to Rome. Can you tell us a little bit about the the experience where all the Fenimores got together in Rome? <laughs> it's just crazy, you know. And I think it's because it reminds everyone once they get here of how we grew up in in Brooklyn in our little neighborhood. So I have two brothers and two sisters. I have an older sister, a younger sister, and two younger brothers. And um, and they all managed to come and, when possible, with their families to stay for a certain amount of time. And we try to time it so that we're the most of us that are there, you know, at one time. Um, uh, but some of us stay over longer, like I do. I stay there for the two or three months. And um, so it's easy for people to catch me there. But... Uh, and then my, they all just love this way of life. My brother Joe, I think that if Paola wasn't already married to Andrea, she'd be <laughs> facing... <laughs> an, <laughs> a real uh, onslaught from my brother because he doesn't want to leave that place. He just loves it there. He loves her and he loves the food. And um, so, um, <clears throat> so, as I say, we just... And we get together, we go to the market, we'll 
get all kinds of things. My brother Chuck is a fabulous cook. He's especially good with seafood. So he'll make some seafood thing. We'll make some different pastas. We'll make some of the delicious uh, meats that we get from uh, (laughs) the butcher. Uh, Cesare was my butcher, but he's retiring. I can't believe it. Um, But I can go to Cesare, and he knows just how I like to have my cutlets sliced, just the thickness that I want, because we've been through this a couple of times. And that's what you just can't get unless you're in that kind of marketplace with that kind of a relationship yeah, with the definitely, artisan definitely. behind just, the counter. We just can't get that here. Um, Chris, we have one caller who is on the line. We have one caller on okay. the line here. Uh, hi, Chris. Uh, I, 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 I was just thinking uh, all of us that have grown up in an Italian family, we can think back at one particular recipe that we really love that always brings a smile to our face. And I was wondering, do you have one uh, particular recipe that you you always <laughs> think back on? <laughs> I have about a hundred. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I have well, you to have say, to pick one, <laughs> just one. We only yeah. have about uh, things- ten minutes here. <laughs> <laughs> My mother, on special occasions, and you know that could be you requested for your birthday, or if it was a you know a special holiday Sunday dinner. She would make manigotta, and those, they were with a light crepe that she would make. She had, she put the ricotta and the um, mozzarella cheese inside, lots of um, um, fresh parsley and some grated Romano cheese. They were just light and fluffy, and you could eat, I could eat 10 of them, you know. Now I could eat one, you know. <laughs> but, um, so I think I always think back to that as sort of my favorite dish growing up. Oh, there were so many great. that I just loved and looked forward to. The spadini that my grandmother uh, uh, did, they were little rolled up pieces of uh, beef, originally veal, but we couldn't afford the veal later. So they switched to beef. My mom would get an eye round and... Um, Put it on the slicer and slice it paper thin. Then you stuff that with a mixture of flavored breadcrumbs, mozzarella, a piece of tomato. Put it on a um, skewer, rub breadcrumbs on the outside, plain breadcrumbs, and uh, barbecue it if it's possible. My great-grandfather, Giuseppe Bacci, used to have a little what I called a bocce, a bocce grill. <laughs> Not a hibachi grill, just a bocce The predecessor grill. to the and George Foreman grill. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was an old wash uh, bucket that um, was worn out and had a hole in it, so he would put coals in the bottom of it. He punched holes so that there would be some draft, and he would just put the skewers over the top of that uh, pail. And make these delicious spadini that we would eat right off the mm-hmm. right off the skewer. So it was a Sicilian oh, barbecue, basically. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> always goes yeah. back to the Sicilian. I always have to go back like to the, the Sicilian. Sicilian. I'm sorry. Sicilians do it better. <laughs> they do everything better. The best food in Italy. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you definitely enjoy great diversity because of the different influences that Sicilian cuisine had. Uh, Chris, do you have any um, travel plans? Is it usually, you know, uh, the kind of the January, February time frame? Um, does your daughter come and visit you? Maybe she can stop again to see us? Probably the kids have she grown up since last time. She is planning on coming in July. 
she's going to come here to Pittsburgh and stay for maybe a week in our house. So they, I mean, um, her husband's parents are in New York City, so they'll spend a few days there. And she wants to come here to Pittsburgh to see her all her old uh, Pittsburgh friends and uh, stay with me and I can look after the boys and give her a break. <laughs> and um, and uh, then I will be going back uh, with fingers crossed. I'll, I'll be going back next winter as well. Now, Chris, so if you're, if, if you're in Rome in January or February, come to the Mercado. I'll be there. Okay. I'll, I'll be having my, my lungo lungo, right? In Your the, lungo lungo. I will have my bomba la crema. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you talked about Testaccio. Uh, do you have any other neighborhoods that you frequent when you, you spend time in Rome? What are your favorite other yeah. places besides Testaccio? Well, I, I have places that I love to go, but they're not the same kind of neighborhood feel. I love to go up into Centro and, and actually just people watch. I go, mm-hmm. I go up to the, uh, um, the Piazza Navona or um, down into the Campo di Fiore. And the Campo di Fiore it, is, a is like a, an a, open theater. Yes, <laughs> yes <laughs> it is. And you can just get mm-hmm. yourself a coffee and sit there, and it is endlessly entertaining. And by the way, if you go to the Campo di Fiore, do not miss going to the, the little uh, sandwich uh, place um, right on the corner of the Campo. And it's... Um, Il Forno. It, it, it is, it's called Forno. Forno, no, yes, no. yes, I know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Forno. Forno. And uh, they, they sell some of the most delicious cookies and the best mortadella sandwich in Rome. So I, I can attest to that. I had one of them. They're, <laughs> they're delicious. With, with She's still working. I'm, I'm salivating <laughs> thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Chris, at this, uh, sorry, sorry if I interrupt you. I just uh, we're no, just no, having no. such a great time here. The time is indeed flying. Just one minute left. Um, anything oh. that you would like to tell your audience what you're working on or how they can contribute or anything. You mentioned something before. Maybe you want to we're, mention yeah, one more time. We're working on on putting together a show that uh, when we finally can get back into the studio. You know, we've not been able to get back into the studio since the beginning um, of this uh, pandemic. And they are remodeling the studio and we're getting ready to get back into be able to do some productions. And as soon as we can, the first show we're going to do is When in Rome. And it's uh, in, on that show, we're going to put together a new cookbook, and we're going to have guests like uh, you, Viviana, come on oh, and give us some authentic uh, remembrances of the cuisine of Rome. Everything carciofi. Um, we're going to we'll do your uh, puntarella. Um, just endless things. Uh, suppli. We got to do. We got to do uh, arancini and suppli. Carbonara. Um, <laughs> you have to make pasta alla carbonara. Oh, yes, yes. We've got to do um, cacio e pepe, which is oh, the, the, the yeah, 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 <laughs> We can go on and on and on and start celebrating here. <laughs> so it'll be a long show. It'll be like a two-hour show. <laughs> well, unfortunately, our hour is almost up. <laughs> and uh, so we want you to, to, to thank you, but uh, our big bang, our clock has said stop at this to stop and it's time for us to say <laughs> arrivederci alla prossima we want to thank everyone thank for you. listening we want to thank you too Chris and if you have any 
questions, or any of our listeners have any questions or comments, please feel free to contact, contact us at the Italian Radio Hour at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And Viviana, before we leave, who will be our next guest next week? Uh, next week, our guest will be the renowned food historian Karima Moyernocchi, author of Chewing the Fat, an oral history of Italian foodways from fascism to La Dolce Vita, and also the eternal table, a cultural history of food in Rome. Um, please tune in next week as we discuss this fascinating topic. Um, we've been inspired by Chris Fenmore's passion for preserving traditional family recipes and the Italian Radio Hour is planning on uh, putting together a cookbook inspired by the recipes of our listeners. If you have a traditional and or regional Italian family recipe that you would like to have included in this cookbook, please submit it to us at our email address, theitalianradiohour at gmail.com. We hope to have the cookbook available around Mother's Day, so please don't wait to send us your recipes. And as a reminder, if you or any of your family and friends have missed a prior episode or would like to listen to this episode again, please visit our website at www.istitutomondoitaliano.org and click on the Italian Radio Hour tab. Vorremmo ringraziare i nostri ospiti, Angelo Carotenuto e Chris Fennimore, il nostro sponsor Istituto Mondo Italiano e alla Boara per la musica. And finally, before we leave, here is our trivia question for next week. What does metterci una pietra sopra mean? Again, what does metterci una pietra sopra mean? You can send in your answer to the Italian Radio Hour at gmail.com. And if you are not in the Pittsburgh area or you might be traveling, remember, you can catch us streaming live at khbradio.com every Thursday at 5 p.m. And be sure to like us on Instagram and Facebook at the Italian Radio Hour. Until next time, alla prossima. Ciao, ciao. ciao.
The Italian Radio Hour has been sponsored by Istituto Mondo Italiano.